0: Hello and welcome to the Muscle Engineer podcast. My name is Sotak Andrei and this is episode number three in which I'm joined by Joshua Verdasco. Joshua is a certified personal trainer. He has a master's degree in human sciences with a major in human nutrition and is a registered dietitian who works at Christie's Spawn Hospital in Corpus Christi, Texas as a clinical dietitian. In this episode, we discuss his educational background, how he ended up becoming an RD, the steps towards becoming an RD, the rotations that were part of his internship, and much much more. If you're interested in what it takes to be a registered dietitian, or maybe you want to become one someday yourself, then this episode is for you. I have learned a ton from my conversation with Joshua, and my respect towards the wide array of skills an RD has to possess has definitely increased. So without further ado, Here is episode number three of the Muscle Engineer Podcast with Joshua Verdasco. Joshua Verdasco, welcome to the Muscle Engineer Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. So as uh, the listener will be soon aware of, you're a a registered dietitian and uh, you just passed your CDR exam this summer. Is that correct?
1: Yes, I did. It was a very challenging examination, uh, but I'm proud of that I passed and I'm ready to take on and see what my future has in store.
0: Awesome, congratulations. Thank you. So uh, let's talk a bit about your education background. What exactly got you into the dietetics route?
1: Yeah, so basically my story, if you want to call that. (laughs) I graduated high school in 2009 and I was 19 years old and I had no plans for college uh i started working at a pawn shop that year in 2009 in september and if any of you have ever seen those shows on tv pawn stars detroit pond it was a pretty interesting ride and we would get all sorts of items that people would try to pawn and sell uh, at the pawn shop so it was a very fun job and uh i had that job for about two years from 19 to 21 years old and you know i was very young and i was enjoying you know the paychecks and just having fun uh, but then I started to look around and see my coworkers who have been there for 20, 30 years and ask, started asking myself, hey, do I see myself here for that long doing the same thing? And so that kind of just started to trigger my thoughts or my aspirations to try looking into school. And at 21 years old, I started um, at a university, uh, Texas A&M University, Corpus Christi, for exercise science. and. That's where I began in 2011, where I started getting into lifting weights. And uh, like every other young guy, you know, you're really enthusiastic about it and you're having fun with it and you're making all kinds of gains. (laughs) But um, I think what really sparked my interest in terms of narrowing down my path was that I knew I was interested in the human body. And it was really when I took the basic course uh, anatomy and physiology and i thought to myself wow the human body is very amazing and i really enjoy the subject but you know some people enjoy cars some people enjoy, enjoy art business for me i just knew it was the human body but i re- it was a very broad interest so i still didn't know what route i was going to take so but like i said i started with exercise science and then as i was getting my basics done a college degree uh, in exercise science started to not really resonate with me and i felt like i could become a certified personal trainer without really spending four years and four years worth of college money and i was like that's not for me so i decided to switch over to pre-physical therapy because i knew i still wa- still wanted to be in the field of you know the human body and physical training exercise or anything of that nature but then i realized that you have to get a doctorate in physical therapy and I was like, um, I feel a little old where I'm at right now because I started college late in my own right and uh, that wasn't for me as well. So then finally I remember there was a nutrition class in the exercise science program and it kinda sparked my interest and I was like, do they have any nutrition degrees here at A&M Corpus, my hometown? And unfortunately they said no. So I had to look in the surrounding areas and of course that's where I found Texas A and M University Kingsville, which had the nutrition undergraduate program, and that's kind of what led me into the route of dietetics.
0: Wow! So that was quite a quite a journey, quite a story.
1: Yeah, I really had to find my way, uh, but it was I, I needed that, and I'm I'm better for it, and I enjoy where I'm at right now.
0: Yeah, in a sense, I kind of envy your uh, education setup. I mean, you can switch between degrees from. What I understand pretty easily, although I guess if you factor in the cost, because from what right I hear it can be hundred thousand, two hundred thousand of dollars. For that amount of money, they better give you some some flexibility, I guess.
1: Oh yeah, it's a common practice here in the states. Kids switch their degrees like three, four, five times. But we have we have the opportunity because in the beginning we're just completing our basic courses: science, history, uh, composition
0: etc. Yeah, so um, many people kind of confuse being an RD with being a nutritionist or some kind of nutrition professional and the steps needed to be an RD aren't really clear for many people, myself included. So uh, could you outline for us a bit what are the necessary steps uh, needed to be taken to become an RD?
1: Yeah, of course. So there's not that many steps, but it's uh, very strenuous and takes a while. So basically, students who have a bachelor's degree and verification statement from the Accreditation Council for Education and Nutrition and Dietetics, which is known as ASEND, that's an accredited didactic program in dietetics, uh, which once completed with that undergraduate program and that verification statement, they then can apply to the dietetic internship of their choosing, and once you're there, you would have to complete that and These internships vary depending on which city or state you're in, and it can range from 6 to 12 months, uh, the internship. Uh, Once you complete the internship and you fulfill its requirements, you are then eligible to take the CDR examination for dietitians and, of course, pass. And um, so that's basically it. You have to have a bachelor's degree, first and foremost. It has to be accredited by the ascent, and then you have to embark on the six to 12 month dietetic internship and complete that and then of course sit in for the CDR exam. I will add that there, the master's degree is optional as of right now. Dietitians do not need to have a master's degree, however, from what I've read, apparently they're going to make it mandatory in 2024 for all RDs to have a master's degree.
0: Interesting. So you ha- got to have three or four year. How long is it that in the US uh, usually three years? Uh,
1: we, yeah, three to four years. It just depends on you know if you're taking summer classes, and if you have the finances, etc.
0: So that's three years, let's say, and then you have the one you mentioned for the dietetics itself. So that's mm-hmm. like two years. The
1: internship. The internship. Uh, no. Before
0: just... before the internship, so you don't need you only need the bachelor degree. Yes. to take some classes. You just gotta have some sort of a prerequisite classes. Yeah, related. basically
1: that bachelor's degree has to be with that program that's accredited. So mm-hmm. it meets the requirements mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the DPD or the ASIN. Uh, mm-hmm. So that automatically qualifies you to be, be an applicant for the dietetic internship. So like you said, there are certain classes within that uh, program. Mm-hmm.
0: So you can't just be a history, ma- history <laughs> minor or, so, or how you call it in the US. No. Have a bachelor's no. in history and then go be an RD.
1: Yeah, you'd be pretty versed in the history of dietetics.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So um, <laughs> what were some of the classes that you had to take in order to be eligible for that internship?
1: Excellent question. So basically, the program's curriculum includes broad foundations of knowledge in the fields of biochemistry, microbiology, human anatomy and physiology, management, education, communication, and psychology. Those are kind of the broad courses, which means that someone from Texas, someone from, you know, New York, other states are basically going to have basically going to have those basic classes. Now, within that, uh, my uh, department or my undergraduate program has specific courses in the fundamentals of nutrition life cycle nutrition medical nutrition therapy cultural and community nutrition food science and food service management those were the classes that were in my undergraduate program because they may vary from different programs throughout the u.s
0: wow so that's quite a comprehensive list
1: It really is. It's a broad spectrum of basic nutritional courses, uh, food service, and etc.
0: What were some of your favorites? And uh, also, what were your least favorite classes?
1: Oh, everyone has some of those. Uh, So basically, my favorites were what I mentioned earlier, uh, anatomy and physiology. I know those these are not really nutrition related, specific related, but... I just really enjoyed learning overall about the human body. So anatomy and physiology, one and two. Of course, advanced nutrition, one and two, uh, and biochemistry. Biochemistry was very challenging, but I guess I like, you know, the molecular biology in that, and I really enjoyed it. And my least favorite would have to have been, at the time, medical nutrition therapy. And that may come as a surprise because now I really enjoy it and I really love it and um, obviously because it's part of my practice right now at the hospital uh, but at the time I I did not really enjoy it to be honest (laughs) Uh, food service classes anything to do with food service I just really didn't care for and then of course uh, inorganic chemistry 1 and 2 I just did not like the inorganic chemistry
0: (laughs) Uh, Were there any classes you wish you had taken you wished uh, they were included and they weren't? Yeah
1: so Throughout my undergraduate program uh, and even into the masters, some of the classes I wish I had taken were more specific courses about body composition or body recomposition. And only because one of the biggest problems we have here in the U.S. is uh, overweight and obesity. And I feel like as dietitians, we need to be very well versed in energy balance and why. Um, what are some of the causes related to obesity and the fundamental scientific conclusions about how someone gains body fat and/or can lose it or enhance muscle or increase muscle? And because that's what we need to do as practitioners is understand first and foremost you know how does someone gain weight and how can we help them lose it some other classes i wish i've taken more clinical courses because we only had two medical nutrition therapy classes and i personally feel that was just not enough just to have two courses throughout our whole uh, undergraduate program in another class i wish i had taken was nutrition counseling and education this specific undergraduate program did not have that and i feel that i really had to go out of my own way outside of the education uh, and learn that for my own self and it's crucial in the field of dietetics so yeah those are some of the ones i wish i had taken
0: i'm curious did you have any disagreements with the professors or have you had any interactions where you felt like the information they uh, conveyed was outdated And if so, were the professors open to new ideas? Basically, were they evidence-based or were they kind of the old, uh, I am 50 years old and I have 25 years of academia behind my back, so I know better than you?
1: Ah, the expert card. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... We did not have a lot of uh, nutrition professors because it was kind of a small uh, program. So to be honest, we had just three uh, professors that would teach all the nutrition courses. And from my experience and obviously taking classes under them, they all understood energy balance. And I will say none of them were versed in sports nutrition, body recomposition. So there was one time where I had expressed to one of my nutrition professors how much protein I was taking (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and uh, at the time I was personally uh, intaking around 150 to 170 grams of protein per day Uh, I was really uh, vigorously uh, weight training and uh, I kind of told her that and I guess since they were hot and not really into like I said sports nutrition or you know competitive athletes that was really high for that professor. And she kind of asked, wow, that's pretty high. Like, I don't think you need that much. And I I explained to her, well, you know, I'm really active. (laughs) I'm lifting a bunch of weights. And, uh, and, you know, this is one of the, this is only way that I will be able to build muscle tissue. And she's like, hmm, I I don't think that you should be taking that much. And I was like, okay, you know, well, um, have you worked with any athletes or, you know, what what are your thoughts? Just tell me your thoughts in depth. And she just kind of basically said, well, you know, the RDA is 0.8 grams per kilogram. And I was like, yes. Um, however, that's for the average healthy individual. I'm not assuming they are lifting weights three to five times a week. Um, so therefore, that's appropriate for them. And she didn't; she wasn't really trying to tell me I was wrong, but she was just kind of shocked that it was uh, my protein intake was that high. Other than that, there was no real other disagreements with the professors and the curriculum was fundamental in my uh, experience. Basically, the professors taught from the textbooks and didn't really have strong personal bias to ketogenic dieting or intermittent fasting or anything like that. They just went from the textbook, here's energy balance, You know, here's the macronutrients, and this is what you need to learn. Um, so I I was kind of fortunate in that regard that they didn't try to sway us to a specific way of thinking about nutrition. I will say though, that my fellow students were, what I noticed was that they were still being swayed away by the fitness industry, even though they were uh, in the nutrition program and taking these classes. So they would fall into the traps of one way of thinking about nutrition and exercise and they come into the class and talk about it, whether it was uh, veganism or uh, ketogenic dieting or uh, something that sparked their interest and they felt that this was the only way. And to be honest, I didn't feel like a lot of students knew or respected or understood energy balance as well is we all should have um, so those were kind of the the few disagreements with the professors but other than that they were pretty much set on the basics and the fundamentals yeah
0: i um i think that's uh, on the positive side at least she was just curious wasn't trying to sway you because i had an professor and she straight up told me i said something about hypertonitis oh that's going to carry your kidneys at <laughs> least that's a step in the right direction i guess
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, Because I think some of the older textbooks, uh, nutrition textbooks, they did briefly mention any time it came to the topic of protein um, that you want to watch out because it may cause kidney damage. But at the time, that's what kind of was understood. Uh, But now we know that's not the case.
0: You've mentioned textbooks that they taught you from the textbooks. What did you think about those? Were they up to date? Were they okay? Uh Could have they, they were, better?
1: Yeah, they were pretty much basic and straightforward, you know, talking about the macronutrients and their metabolism, regulatory nutrients, you know, water soluble vitamins, fat soluble, major minerals. So it was just straightforward and basic. There was really no in depth topics or literature about how you know, the interactions per se in depth. It was just basically, for example, it's like, here's vitamin A, here are the functions, this is how it interacts in the body, and these are the RDAs. And that's pretty much how it was for all the textbooks. The definition, a brief discussion of how it works in the body, uh, and of course the RDAs and some application for it. Nothing really um, like, for example, how does the fat soluble vitamins A, D, E, K, Uh, interact with each other in the body. (laughs) So, but obviously that would probably be something more like a thesis or a a specific interest, but it was just, there were straightforward textbooks um, just covering what we needed to know and to be competent in. Um, I felt like they were pretty great.
0: Yeah, I remember a couple of discussions, conversation between Mike Sweeney, who is an RD, and uh, Marty McDonald, and they were discussing that in the uk certain dietetics textbooks are uh, kind of outdated or they teach incorrect or at least um in the application side incorrect uh information i'm wondering because obviously you're involved in the evidence-based fitness i don't know what to call it uh community community yeah 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 so did the the information you took maybe from someone like an Aaron Aragon match all the way through college because you said there wasn't really much emphasis on controversial topics yeah so from so what, what i understand there wasn't much emphasis on the application side so it was more like uh here's the bell and butter biochemistry and the uh, fundamentals and the application side was kind of left on the side
1: exactly and that's where the mismatch was We knew the fundamentals, uh, at least that's what we were taught, Um, but that application just did not feel there. And since I personally had connected and found this evidence-based community, it seems like in the beginning when I saw them and I was hearing what they had to say, I was like, oh, okay, this is how we translate that information into application especially Brad Schoenfeld, Alan Aragon, Martin McDonald. So, and I guess it's the way they presented it as well, and uh, how their personalities were. They were very humble, and they're, they didn't have big egos. They weren't dogmatic. That's what really stuck out to me. They, w- they had no problem saying, I don't know but this is the current weight of the evidence but that's a great question instead of saying oh no it's this is the only way it needs to be and then they also would perpetuate to everyone else never stop learning because i felt like once you did you would kind of get stuck in your own way of thinking and never question or challenge your own self or anyone else and ultimately at the end of it they just pretty much would tell everyone else just use common sense along with the evidence and you'll be fine
0: (laughs) yeah that's that's very refreshing to hear honestly because that's a much much better thing to say to a student just be curious be open-minded be skeptical instead of uh, bombarding us with uh, random facts
1: yeah we get enough of that right now especially with social media
0: were there any things that you were taught that you knew were rubbish Like, for example, I don't know how much is, is this actually thing, because for a long time I've always heard, and I certainly experienced this with uh, in here in Romania, that the breakfast thing, that's a diehard attachment, that you must eat breakfast. Obviously, that comes out from uh, observational, correlational research that people who eat breakfast are somehow uh, leaner and skinnier, so.
1: Sure. Uh. Yeah. So like I said before, those myths weren't really pushed down our throat by our professors. So it wasn't like they felt, okay, everyone needs to eat breakfast. It was more, what does the textbook say? And that's what we're going to teach. It was funny because one of my other professors, Dr. Dahem, he would always, he would always joke about it. And he would say, whenever he was reading from the textbook or, or the slides that he created, he would say, according to them. (laughs) And he would say that because the way he was thinking was, look, this is what the textbook that I decided to choose or they told me to select. And this is what the textbook has to say. It's not what I'm saying, but it's what the textbook is saying. So according to them, this is what they say about nutrition. And this is what I need to teach you and this is what you need to learn to pass the test. So I found that pretty humorous and interesting.
0: Yeah, it's one of the most frustrating things I uh, encountered with college. Even if you kinda know that something is not true, you have to give that answer, otherwise you don't pass the test.
1: Uh, yeah, so there's that dynamic in there. And he kinda just left it to us, up to us to take what we wanted and discard what we didn't want in terms of whether or not it was a controversial topic But at the same time, I appreciated that because he didn't have, he wasn't trying to push anything down our throats. He didn't have any strong ties to any particular theory or philosophy in terms of nutrition. He just spoke or uh, lectured what was fundamental, you know, moderation, consistency, and using common sense. So I I appreciated that. And so kind of coming first full circle to your question, there were not really myths that were perpetuated by the professors. but within the students, they'd have, they come up with their own ideas about nutrition from what they have learned outside uh, in fitness or the nutrition uh, industry.
0: Yeah. I can, I can imagine what that's like because I studied food science, so that's not technically not exactly nutrition and I still had my fair share of stupidity. So I can only imagine what it must be like if your, your whole degree is revolving around nutrition. <laughs>
1: yeah and just to add to that, I think, in terms of myself and my classmates, and of course, you know they were great individuals, and I have nothing bad to say about them uh, but I guess it's just how we were taught and trained, and I felt like we didn't we should have had a class about you know uh critical thinking <laughs> uh, because I just felt once a student learned something, whether it was in college or outside of it, that was it. They accepted it. And if you do that, I think there can be some problems. And for myself, I was always, well, why is that? Uh, I always had an inquiring mind. And uh, I would go in depth to research it, figure out all the uh, sides of it, and kind of formulate my best interpretation of it. it. Obviously, that's critical thinking. And I think uh, a lot of my classmates didn't seem to have that, uh, whether it was their fault or they chose to not, not to uh, have a critical mind. I, I don't know. That's beyond me. But that's one of the things I, I kind of would always think about during my time there.
0: Yeah, that's honestly, I think, and I'm certainly not alone in this. That's the one of the biggest pitfalls uh, uh, in modern education is this um uh, overemphasis on facts and not enough on yes. critical examination of or even a, how to have a scientific mindset because I've seen for example some recordings with near deGrasse Tyson and he was wondering how we got there that people are uh, celebrating that they finished school instead of being sad and uh, they are joyful that I no longer have to read books instead of being actually disheartened that it's this period is over, so there's obviously there's a mismatch and there's a disconnect there somewhere.
1: Interesting. If anything, I was actually very excited that I was able to now read and research my own uh, information that was uh, important and exciting to myself once I finished college. So I was oh, yeah. excited <laughs> for that.
0: Well, yeah, because because you were actually interest, interested in what you were learning, but uh, if exactly. you're just there to have the degree, because most of my classmates were. Which, in a sense, it's sad because that education got uh, mutated, or I don't know how to how to call it, into this degree hunting or diploma hunting instead of being an educational journey.
1: No, that's a good point. And if anything, that's what it seems like nowadays, at least for certain uh, degrees. Yeah. So
0: going back to our conversation, um, the internship, uh, what was it like? What? did you have any expectations going into it did it match your expectations did you know about it or yeah the so, uh, unknown
1: yeah so basically we were given a full schedule from august all the way till the next year in may so we knew exactly where we where we were going and how for how long and uh what were the emphasis within those rotation sites so in the beginning i was pretty nervous, I really didn't know what to expect, uh, especially that I had never set foot in the hospital in regards to employment or working there or volunteering. So I just had no idea uh, of what to expect in the hospital setting, I was basically nervous and I had never wanted to work at a hospital, I never wanted to set foot in the hospital. And every time I would go for a relative, it was just like, get me out of here. <laughs> so. I, and- he- I hate that small. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I, that was probably the number one thing. I hated the smell, (laughs) but so yeah, we started off, or at least I did. The first 15 weeks was considered the medical nutrition therapy rotation. And that was from August all the way to December. And the first five weeks, I started at a small 50 bed hospital in Kingsville. And, um, That was considered our first medical nutrition therapy rotation. And within that, uh, we were basically shadowing the dietitian on staff and learning from them. And they were kind of introducing us to the staff there, the nurses, um, all the locations that we needed to be aware of, and of course, the daily functions of the dietitian. And that was the first five weeks. After that, and we can come back to it to explain all the... uh, day to day things that I, I, I experienced, but I'm sure. just gonna give a brief overview of the rotations. Uh, after those five weeks at that hospital, I went to a children's hospital here in my hometown for one week, And uh, that was pretty interesting because I had really never seen a hospital for children, pediatrics, um, especially in the uh, NICU and the PICU. So the ICU uh, scene, and that was an experience as well. Seeing babies the size of your palm uh, was pretty insane. After one week there, it was short lived and it was a massive hospital. So I wish I had a little bit longer time there, but um, it was is a good exposure. Then from there, the next five weeks, I went back to that small 50 bed hospital for the ICU. Uh, rotation and staffing. So basically I would have a few, like one or two weeks to where I would do all of the functions of the dietitian on staff, just to give me that comprehensive um, situational experience. Then from there, we went to a dialysis center for our renal rotations for two weeks. That was very interesting because I really enjoyed it because of how narrowed uh, it was in terms of the scope of practice for the dietitian. All they needed to know was how does the kidneys work? How does nutrition impact the fine balance of that, how the kidney filters? Well, no longer, but the synthetic filter for these individuals and how nutrition played a role. And um, I really enjoyed that rotation. Um, I guess it was uh, just, this is all you needed to focus on, so get really good at it. Um, and you can help the patients manage their nutrition. And then after that, I went to a long-term care facility for two weeks. Um, I didn't really enjoy it, to be honest. Personally, it's just more that you have to do monthly checkups on all the patients at that facility, make sure they're not losing any body weight, uh, make sure that their intake is adequate and if they had any pressure wounds. So it was more, they had to see so many patients and document on them that there was no fulfillment in that because you were just in front of a computer all day. Um, so that those were the first 15 weeks and I guess I'm getting too in depth in each one and I'll kind of speed it up here and then you can kind of ask the questions from there. Our next eight weeks was the food service management and that was from January to May and I was at the Spawn kingsville food service for four weeks. So basically at the same hospital, 50-bed hospital, but this time I was working with the food service and the kitchen staff, all the services provided for that hospital. Then I moved on to the CCISD school food service for our community for four weeks and that was pretty fun as well and then from there i went to my final major block of rotations community nutrition for seven weeks i was at a local food bank for two weeks then i went over for meals on wheels for one week and meals on wheels is a nonprofit organization that uh cooks and prepares meals for elderly the elderly who cannot Drive to uh, a community setting or to grow to the grocery store because they are they can't drive or they can't get out of their wheelchair or anything that has a disability. Uh, meals on Wheels will provide and take meals to their house. Um, so it was a great experience there. Um, and then we moved on to our second to last rotation, which was a diabetes education program uh, for two weeks. And that one was the most fun I had out of uh, the community nutrition rotations, uh, because I was actually able to work one on one or in a class setting with all the diabetic patients, educate them on nutrition and physical activity, really help them out, plan out their uh, meals. and carbohydrates at each meal. And uh, it was very fulfilling and I really enjoyed it. And then finally, my last rotation was at the WIC Center, the Women's Infant and Children, and that was for one week. And it was just a bunch of screaming babies. (laughs) Oh, I forgot one more. It was the expanded food and nutrition program uh, from the USDA, and that was for one week. And basically, that program was designed to bring awareness in terms of the My Plate from the government uh, and teach that to children in public schools or uh, low income families at a center. So it's just basically basic nutrition education for children and low income families.
0: That's, that's awesome uh, as an outline. I can definitely see it going wrong too because i had similar experiences where on paper it would look great and then you would kind of do nothing going back to dialysis uh, section i've heard from dietitians that sometimes for even if you have a patient with um, kidney disease lowering protein intake would cause even more harm because for example if you lower protein too low they could risk uh, muscle and bone loss and then you would also be incapacitated and have kidneys that are not working. Have you heard this or have you seen something like that? Or is the, the procedure still lowering protein intake?
1: Yeah. So great question. Basically from what I know right now in the interpretation that I have, anyone on dialysis, they increase their protein back up to normal, you know, once they have that filtering system uh, going on for them. Mm-hmm. So right there, there's really no restrictions. If, a patient is on dialysis and they no longer have working kidneys. Where they discuss about maybe we should lower protein is stages three and four, I believe. That's where they felt maybe we should lower the protein. That way it does not have an effect of putting added pressure to the GFR rate and further damaging the kidney and the likelihood of them going into dialysis because of it or one of the reasons contributing to it. But uh, from one of the sources I've been reading, they've done trials where they've had high protein and another group had low protein and there was no differential outcome to where the person with the high protein group ended up going to dialysis because of high protein. So basically it really didn't affect whether or not they had Changed their protein intake, but going to your question in terms of a concern for loss in bone uh, density or muscle mass, yeah, there is because most of the, the most of the end stage renal failure patients were on dialysis. They are also diabetic, uh, so when you have comorbidities, they have a much larger risk for having lower muscle mass and lower bone density because of all those. Factors going on on top of they're probably not active, getting any physical exercise, resistive uh, exercises as well. So we kind of want to have that protein up there.
0: It's so funny or unfortunate that protein has this bad rep because it could help people out in so 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 many ways.
1: Definitely, yeah. Not to mention the satiety factor.
0: Were there any things that uh, you wish you would have done during this internship that you hadn't had the opportunity to do?
1: Yeah, so I really didn't care for sports nutrition, to be honest. <laughs> um, but it would have been nice to probably have done a rotation uh, at the university for the athletics, maybe one week or two weeks, uh, just to get that side of it. I felt like it would have been fun to interact with college students and try to help them with their nutrition and performance. Another thing that I wish I had done outside of the internship was embark on a master's thesis, because I didn't, I opted for coursework, they give us an option. We can do coursework, a thesis, or a project. And that's not really known having three options for a master's degree. It's usually you're going to do your thesis, to my knowledge. But in this program, I guess the reason they offered coursework was because they knew we were doing the internship as well. And I, I mean, I don't know why, but maybe they felt uh, a thesis would be too much trying to, t- to tackle both internship and thesis, but I, I opted for the coursework. Uh, it was a personal decision based on finances, uh, the time frame, and uh, eventually I knew I didn't want to focus on research, but more as uh, in application and as a practitioner. But that's something that I wish I could have done, a thesis, that way I, c- I could have really tackled on some focused topic and contributed to the uh, community of uh, research
0: so it seems to me that there really isn't much emphasis if any on the sports nutrition side or the body composition side is that correct
1: no not not where our program was and what the emphasis was so i guess i'll add to that if you go on the website of the academy of nutrition and dietetics and you look for internships across the US. They will let you know the program length for the internship, the annual enrollment of how many students they are likely to enroll each year and the emphasis of that internship. So ours was nutrition therapy, medical nutrition therapy, whereas other internship programs are focused, they focus on community nutrition, children, or child nutrition, public health, sports nutrition, and nutrition education and counseling. So if anything, dietitians come from a variety of internships that they experienced, uh, like their background uh, of experience in terms of their internship. So that's something probably a lot of people don't know. I didn't know. Yeah, so it's not like all dietitians went through the same Internship exactly the same internship, you know, someone from Miami probably did a sports nutrition internship And that was their the bulk of their emphasis.
0: Oh, so this is a condition by a geographic location
1: or just the uh, department. But yeah,
0: still it's it's school. So mm-hmm. you can have 50 RDS with 10 different focus or specialization areas. Exactly. Yeah, so not all RDs are equal.
1: No, you know, and that's a kind of something that a lot of people don't really uh, think of or realize. And for some RDs, I'm sure their ego can play into that because, and then we're pressured to know everything. So there's a lot of things tugging at that title. And even for me personally right now, I feel like, okay, I should know everything as an RD if someone were to ask me. But I try my best to be like, okay, I am not well-versed in child nutrition therapy. So let me get you in contact with my colleague who knows a lot more in pediatric nutrition.
0: That's a very healthy attitude to have because that's where many, many people fail. They perceive that they have this uh, authority figure. So if someone asks them, they feel like they have to answer. They don't know the answer. So they're kind of spit out a bullshit answer just to kind of gives something out as as a reply and that's and where if I you things say go, i don't know
1: yeah. 10 times you're you're not an expert exactly <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: so um what was the so this was the internship part and then you had the final exam what's that like is that uh, sort of like you have to have a b c d and you have to give the correct answer or how is it set up
1: yeah so basically it was Multiple choice with from a broad range of nutrition, therapy, food service, food science. All these domains in nutrition under it, uh, even marketing, uh, management, theories. Uh, it was a very comprehensive exam and multiple choice, but it wasn't straightforward multiple choice questions. It wasn't, you know, what food contains this vitamin A, B, C, D? It was more like you're an R D of a five hundred bed hospital, you know, your food service workers are having some kind of interpersonal conflict. What would you do in this situation? How would you take care of it? And then they'll have four different scenarios and you would have to select the best answer.
0: Yeah, and then I kinda see an issue with this. I mean, who decides what's the best answer?
1: Yeah, well, you would have to know the theories of management to where there was an underlying correct answer, but intuitively they would look like all correct answers. But if you knew the theories of management, you would know which one was the correct answer.
0: Yeah, I can see this issue with education. So if um, if you give uh, only the type of questions you mentioned previously, like which enzyme catalyzes the following reaction or whatever, Mm-hmm. then you kind of have to regurgitate the information, but it's easy to grade on the other side. If you then give something much more contextual, then it's not as simple to Yeah, Yeah, they
1: mixed in a couple of those uh, within the examination mm-hmm. that were pretty straightforward.
0: So how many questions did you have in total? What was the time outline? Uh-huh.
1: So basically they had a range of 120 questions through to 145 questions. And that would depend on how you would perform within the examination. So it was kind of some, I don't really know the term of that type of exam, but from what I heard, it was one that would adapt to the answers you would give and whether or not you were correctly answering them and give you opportunities to kind of make amends for whether if you were doing very poorly or the certain topics that you were getting incorrect to help you out. And then the time allotted was three hours and 30 minutes, if I can recall. And I had around 30 minutes to spare, so it might've been two hours and 30 minutes. Uh, I, I can't recall right now. <laughs> but yeah, the time wasn't an issue to be honest.
0: And was this online or?
1: Yes, it was on the computer. It was the Pearson testing center. So it was very, if you were walking through an airport and had to check you and you have to, put all your belongings in a locker and they pat you down so it was very um. Uh, the security was very uptight they were recording you you had to raise your hand once you were completed you couldn't say anything so they make sure that you weren't cheating <laughs> interesting
0: was there anything you would wish you could have changed let's say you could change the curriculum and retake it all over again would you change something
1: no because i knew I had selected this internship close to my hometown and I knew it was a medical nutrition therapy emphasis. So basically if I wanted to embark on sports nutrition, I would have went to another city or another state to get the curriculum I preferred or I wanted. But I guess within that medical nutrition therapy um, curriculum, I guess just more emphasis on the application such as the nutrition education and counseling more classes about that because it's great that you're teaching us about all the nutrition related diseases but how are we going to perpetuate that or explain that to low-income families people with all different needs and psychological issues like how are we going to be able to combat that or be ready for that be prepared for that once we go out there on the field in the field and I don't really felt like the curriculum prepared us for that it was just more this is nu- the nutrition information you need to know these are the guidelines and you know knock yourself out have fun hmm.
0: so it was almost like they were uh, preparing a nutritional scientist instead of uh, professionals
1: yeah nutritional scientists and also as if we were going to be giving presentations for the rest of our lives uh, at conferences rather than out in the community.
0: They have to consider that of some course. of you would want to pursue a PhD, for example, so I can see that side. But
1: but all in all, to be honest, personally, I'm not a big complainer. Uh, if I want to embark on something, if I want to learn nutrition education and counseling, I'm going to personally go seek out and find the people who can help me and find the resources so it really doesn't matter to me to be honest if you have a desire or you have an interest in something you know go find it and if it's enough you know you're gonna make a way or find a way to get what you want
0: so what are your future plans what are you doing right now what would you want to do where do you see yourself going
1: okay so like i mentioned in the beginning i'm currently working at a very large hospital here in my city uh, as one of the clinical dietitians and i'm really enjoying it right now Um, we are currently understaffed we need some more dietitians uh so we can be able to see the patients more often instead of at our desk documenting all day (laughs) but that's what i'm doing right now I really enjoy it because I'm learning the nutrition, education, and counseling in the the acute care setting, as well as all the medical nutrition therapy, nutrition-related diseases, and the guidelines, and then kind of questioning some of them. (laughs) And uh, just really applying the information that I've learned throughout my education training internship. And it's really exciting because there's no end to this. Every day I get to go in and learn a little bit more, experience a little bit more, if I messed up, that's okay. I can come back the next day, the next week, and the next month, and continue to learn and grow. So I'm really enjoying that right now. I don't want to be there for 30 years. <laughs> I know that much. But for now, two to five years, gain that clinical experience, obviously be working on some other projects outside of that. And I guess in terms of those outside projects, I want to start seeing if I can find any opportunities for any speaking engagements uh, so i can give nutrition seminars educate clients or patients on the fundamentals of nutrition or whatever the audience may need health exercise sleep uh, just combining all those together and i guess i've found a love for public speaking which you know go back to 2011 you would have never thought that i or i never wanted to ever get in front of people and and speak to them but i guess this education journey has changed that for me um and just enjoy the fruits of my labor you know eight years of hard work from working full-time at a pawn shop and going through all my part-time jobs throughout undergrad and education itself and the internship you know it's just a good feeling right now to finally see uh everything coming to where i saw myself and and just enjoying everything right now um and of course at the end like everyone else I want to open up my own practice uh, and incorporate all the components of health, uh, like I just mentioned, physical exercise, nutrition, uh, sleep, and uh, mental health. So those are some of the future plans I have.
0: Awesome. And uh, you definitely have the right attitude and I can foresee a bright future for you. So uh, I'm excited for you. See where you're going. Thank you. So before we get into the final question, maybe uh, you could let uh, listeners know where they can find you, your social media, where they can follow you, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, so it's just my name. (laughs) Uh, You can find me on Facebook, Joshua Jedediah Verduzco, and um, we can have that spelled out. But just type in Joshua Verduzco and um, you can find me on Facebook. Instagram, it's the same thing, Joshua Verduzco. I don't really use Twitter. I I need to get on that. um snapchat's the same joshua Redusco. go i haven't put it on youtube uh, videos yet uh but maybe in the future i will once i start my speaking engagements so yeah that's where you can find me i don't have a website yet either but in the future i want to
0: definitely i will put all those in the description below the podcast episode so with that we've arrived to the final question of the of the show and that is what is your definition of success
1: Ooh, this is a good one so my definition of success would be that you enjoy where you are right now in in every aspect or component of life, whether it's family, relationships, uh, career. I personally think that is the definition of success because I don't think anyone has ever said, Okay, since I'm I made this, I accomplished this, I completed this education or I completed this career goal. Now I am successful. I think it's where most people find it and myself is looking around, what am I doing right now? Are my family, friends in good health? Am I in good health? Am I doing something that I love? That is what I consider the definition of success.
0: Awesome. Thanks a lot for that. And with that, I would like to thank you for joining us today, for imparting your knowledge and most importantly, your time.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And this was uh, pretty fun. I enjoyed it.
0: Awesome. Take care. You too. And that was episode number three of the podcast with Joshua Verdasco. I hope you took at least one thing away that can benefit you in some way. Make sure you check out Joshua on the social media platforms he mentioned. As always, any feedback is appreciated. If you've liked this episode, feel free to share it. And if you feel extremely generous, please leave a review on iTunes. You can get in touch with me on Facebook or Instagram. The podcast is also available on YouTube if you prefer to listen to it there. And with that, we round up this episode. Until next week, take care.